Fiat is the same wherever it is. Some of them may be bigger than others, but at the end of the day, the foundation of all Fiat is identical. It is paper printed out of thin air, continuously to oblivion. So the US may be the last one to crumble, but the, its turn is coming. I mean, Fiat is Fiat. Hey, everybody, this is the High Hash Rate Podcast. I'm Mike. And I'm Dan. And this podcast is just two plebs getting high and talking about Bitcoin, life, and the absurdity of the fiat world. Our guests don't necessarily get high with us, and you don't have to either. But it helps. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to High Hash Rate. Today, we are speaking with uh, Tony. And Tony is the co-founder of a company called The Bitcoin Way, based out of Dubai. Uh, Tony, how's it going? Good, good. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, first of all, tell us a little bit about the Bitcoin Way uh, when it was founded and, and kind of what you guys are doing there. Yeah, well, the Bitcoin Way was founded a little over a year ago. We, uh, The purpose of the company is to fast track the onboarding of everyday people into the Bitcoin space properly. And by that, I mean into self-custody. So uh, we, we handle a lot of the... Um, the issues that most people run in run into when getting into the Bitcoin space, primarily, you know, debunking the FUD, um, and then more importantly, handling all the technical aspects, you know, around Bitcoin, which a lot of people seem to struggle with, or perhaps it makes them nervous. So we do everything. I mean, we we uh, set up cold wallets, we do nodes, we teach people how to buy no KYC Bitcoin, we do inheritance planning, we integrate Bitcoin payments into businesses. We're a very comprehensive set of services, you know, geared around the Bitcoin space. Uh, who, you know, it's you said you've been around about a year. Who are your early customers, or who are who are your kind of target customers? Do you guys have serve, you know, mostly customers that are kind of local to where the business is, is located, or is it uh, kind of a global outreach, uh, organic marketing type thing? Yeah, exactly. We're, we're a global outreach. Our target market is literally anybody that wants to get into Bitcoin, you know, the proper way. Um, we don't deal with any other crypto. I mean, we are purely 100% Bitcoin and Bitcoin only. Um, we're big advocates of privacy as well. So we emphasize that a lot on uh, in, a, in our onboarding process, um, which is, you know, also why we emphasize a lot of no KYC Bitcoin purchases and everything surrounding that. Um, before the Bitcoin way, you know, I personally used to onboard people on my own, you know, orange pilling wherever I go, literally everywhere, you know, whether it's supermarkets, barbershops, restaurants, like you name it, you know, opening up casual conversations with people, you know, you'd be very surprised how many would be receptive, you know, if presented, you know, in a fun and very uh, casual and simplistic way. The key to it though, to a successful onboarding, at least in my experience, is being able to demonstrate zero to 100 in under two minutes. You know, like in the case of a restaurant, for example, you know, it usually happens towards the end when it's time to pay. I suggest I give them the tip in Bitcoin. And obviously, most of them have no idea how to do this. So, you know, we actually download the wallet and I send them the tip. So they actually see the whole process, you know, from beginning to end. And that usually ends up in uh, curiosity and opening up a conversation into you know wanting to know more when uh when a customer or a potential customer or client uh finds the bitcoin way and they and they start this journey like kind of what is the level 
that the average client uh, starts out at? Or is it, are they like new to Bitcoin? They've just been introduced to it and they're just trying to figure out where they should start. Cause I kind of see, you know, from the American perspective, it's like, you know, people buy some first and they get invested. Uh, they get, you know, they, they get skin in the game and they want to see it succeed. And then they start to get more sophisticated as they learn about it. How do you, or what, what is this level that these clients are coming to you at? And how do you, do you use like a judgment decision about how sophisticated they're ready to, to go? Uh, you know, we're going to go straight to, you know, running a node, cold storage, no KYC, or is it just like, all right, let's buy some first into a simple wallet. How, how do you kind of manage that? Yeah. I mean, we get people from all, you know, all parts of the world at all different levels. Most of the people that, you know, get in touch with us are of an older age group. The younger folks seem to, you know, figure things out on their own, you know, especially on the technical aspect of things. So unless they get stuck in something specific or need some advanced guidance, most of the people that come to us are, I'd say middle age to boomers. And these are folks that have heard about Bitcoin, don't know much about it, especially like uh, with regards to whether it's actually a good investment and whether it's safe to have any Bitcoins. So we go through a lot of education in the beginning, just you know, to debunk the myths and all the nonsense that you know is typically surrounding bitcoin at least at this at, at this stage and we're like think of us as an it team so i mean once we go through the initial um education and all that stuff like we are able to thoroughly set up anyone from a to z in a bulletproof and airtight way whether it's you know the cold wallet the nodes whatever it is i mean when we're done all the individual needs to do is use the Bitcoin. So sending and receiving as simple as a credit card. Most people don't necessarily care about how it all works in the background. Some do, but most don't. They just need to know that their setup is fine. Their money is safe. And if they need to use it, they have access to it at any point in time. And that no third party can coerce, you know, steal, um, their coins. And this is what we ensure. Um, when you started a year ago, uh, you probably had no, you know, inside of the next few months, we're going to be pretty bad for the price action um, before the recovery that we started to have this year. How did that affect, you know, the, those first few months of running a business? Was it stressful? Was it, were you kind of like, oh God, you know, it's, it's all falling apart. FTX is falling apart. The FUD has probably got to be just through the roof. Like how did you manage that that chaos of the last you know the end of the year last year yeah that was definitely a concern not to me i mean i was sort of expecting this thing to happen um when prices crash around the bitcoin space i i'm happy like i mean for me it's right. a it's, it's a very good day but for someone that doesn't know anything about bitcoin it's you know it's a it's a red flag it's a it's you know alarm bells goes off and they think everything's a scam and it's all going to zero so it's a it's an uphill to try to reverse that thought process you know once they actually see the damage you try to convince someone that no you know this is because you know there's a lot of uh, bs in the space there's a lot of lies there's a lot of fraud 
you know, but and then, you know, they come back to you. Yeah, but this was a regulated entity. So if they can't, you know, handle things properly, you know, what confidence can I have in making sure that what you're telling me is true? You know, like you get a lot of that stuff. Yeah. So um, it takes time. It takes a lot of patience. Um, something that I'm very well accustomed to and used to dealing with. I mean, I come from 25 years of cybersecurity and encryption and privacy. So I've been dealing with people one-to-one for a very long time. And it comes down to communication. You know, I mean, a lot of people, you can't force feed 10,000 hours of research in a 10-minute call. It's just not doable. Yeah. So there's a lot of psychology involved in understanding the user, like their level of comprehension, especially, you know, from a technical perspective, to sort of customize and tailor the conversation into bit-sized pieces that you know they will understand. And then once you get your foot in the door with that individual, usually the guard comes down and they become more at ease and receptive to proper information. You know, and that's usually how the conversation, you know, moves forward. And at some point, I'd say an 85% success rate, people, you know, understand, they believe, you know, what I'm telling them and they're willing to take it to the next step. It's like, okay, fine. What do I do now? How much am I supposed to buy? You know, all these typical questions that follow. And so we, we handle them, you know, one by one until the circle is complete and they become a, a full Bitcoiner. Um, I, I yeah, do have a question no. here. Yeah, I was just wondering, like, how did you arrive at the, this as a business model? Like why, why did you choose this path? Well, because if you've been following the news for the past three years, I mean, it's pretty obvious to a lot of people that something is definitely wrong. And there's a lot of people that I feel are going to get completely destroyed simply because they are not aware of what is going on in the world. That, you know, what money really is, that everything that we thought was money was actually a Ponzi scheme. It's a scam. It's a lie. It's worthless pieces of paper printed out of thin air that everybody thinks is worth something. And this is a very dangerous misconception. I've seen the destruction in countries like Lebanon. That was the most recent one. I know people that live there that have been completely wiped out. I visually witnessed the darkness that comes right after, you know, um, a, like a massive theft of that scale. It is not a pretty place. And a lot of people have this delusion that these things are happening in other places. Like they will never experience something like this because either they live in Europe or they live in the US or wherever. And this is a very dangerous very dangerous lie to tell yourself because fiat is the same wherever it is. Some of them may be bigger than others, but at the end of the day, the foundation of all fiat is identical. It is paper printed out of thin air, continuously to oblivion. So the U.S. may be the last one to crumble, but the, its turn is coming. I mean, fiat is fiat. And a lot of people either don't want to believe this or are unaware that this transition is happening. So, you know, once, once it clicks, it's very hard to unclick. And we feel that it's 
our duty to sort of help as many people as possible, at least to bring awareness to this um, so that people have an, have an option, have a choice to decide for themselves if they want to do it. So like, you don't want people to say, well, nobody told me. Well, that's not true anymore. You know, there's a lot of people that are broadcasting this information on a daily basis, like a, sometimes a lot more than we, we do. And collectively, hopefully, that message will reach, you know, enough people to minimize the damage. I mean, there's going to be damage, unfortunately, in my opinion, some people are just not going to make it or are right. going to realize that they're not going to make it after the fact. Right. Uh, you, you talked about Lebanon. You said you kind of know people who've, who've lived in these areas that have been affected by the fiat money collapse. Do, yes. do you find that these the people that are closest to these situations, that they are more receptive to, to Bitcoin or are they more looking for stability and, 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 you know, trying to tight, tightly grip maybe a fiat that seems like it's actually going to be okay in their mind. Absolutely. They're more receptive. I mean, this is why, you know, most people will learn after they go through horrific pain, um, because only then will you be convinced that this stuff is real and it can actually happen. Um, the situation in Lebanon was, was straight out of a horror movie. I mean, people went to bed on a Tuesday yeah. and they woke up on a Wednesday morning and nothing was working, like literally nothing. So put yourself in the shoes of someone there. I mean, you have your entire life savings, regardless of how much money you're worth. It doesn't really matter because the next day everyone was the same. Mm -hmm. There was no cr credit cards were not working. Bank accounts were closed. No one was answering the phone. So you'd think, OK, something's going on you know, in a few hours, everything will be fine. Fast forward three years later. The money's gone. Yeah. How do you okay. transact in that kind of society? How do you, you do a simple? You don't. you don't. You don't. You don't. And this is what I mean when I say it's an extremely dark place. I mean, a lot of a lot of what actually goes on in a situation like this, no one's no one hears about it because it's not broadcast anywhere. The rate of suicides is at an all-time high. The rate of depression is at an all-time high. Um, good people doing bad things is at an all-time high, not because they want to, it's because they have to. You know, when, when you hear the stories about people walking into banks with guns to steal their own money, mm -hmm. like, I mean, what does that tell you? These are, these are not criminals. If you had your entire life saving in a bank, okay, your mom is sick, you need to pay for her medical bills. The bank tells you, no, we're not giving you your money. What, what are you going to do? do? Yeah. I mean, at the same time in these situations, the people who are typically in charge in society of trying to maintain peace, trying to maintain order, if they're not getting paid either, then you have a total breakdown or potential total breakdown in, in just law and order. And then it's so when you say like the, the people aren't just taking guns to, to banks to get their own money, they're doing whatever it takes on the streets to survive. And, yes, and it's in this, it, there's it's, it's, it can become chaos. Well, this is the part that I fear the most because, you know, it's, it's an unavoidable outcome of a, of a situation like this. And, uh, the only way out of it is preventive. I mean, if you do nothing, 
you are guaranteed that your money at some point in your bank account is going to go to zero. I don't care where you live. It's going to it's going to affect you. So if you don't have some sort of insurance, whatever that may be, to protect you, you're going down. So there, you are no different than someone in Venezuela, someone in Lebanon, who also thought, oh, no, this stuff will never happen. I'm worth 100 million bucks. I'm okay. And then the next day, that 100 million was worth zero. Right. So, uh, one of the things you mentioned was... Um... Just, that you're kind of an you could go around an orange pilling and now you've got clients and you talked about demonstrating uh zero to you know a hundred what are some of the techniques or the demonstrations that you use to when you only have a few minutes or maybe one conversation with somebody to kind of get it to, to demonstrate to them how this works and kind of get that light bulb going off in their head yeah of course i mean in order to do this obviously you have to have a very good understanding of the space. Um, I test a lot of hardware and a lot of software, like very thoroughly before I make any recommendations to anyone. Um, my research is literally trying to blow up stuff, you know, in terms of hardware and software, trying to break them just to see what's more resistant to, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. And those that pass the test are usually those that, you know, I end up recommending to people. And we have a very strict criteria. Like we only deal with open source or verifiable software. We don't deal with any closed source nonsense or things, you know, where the user has absolutely zero con control over the outcome of the app or the device mm -hmm. that they're using. Mm -hmm. So we push self-custody like in a very big way. So and, uh, when I want to like orange pill someone, so to speak, in two minutes, it usually starts by downloading a Lightning wallet. Like in the case of the restaurant, to send them a tip, it's the fastest way. So instead of downloading, you know, a custodial wallet, I mean, I know Wallet of Satoshi is a very popular one. A lot of people use. I'm not saying it's a bad wallet. It's, it's a great wallet. It does its job. I'm sure the people behind it have zero bad intentions. You know, like there's nothing on that front that I have anything against. Sure. I'm more against the principle of starting off properly. So instead of downloading, for example, the wallet of Satoshi, I would download something like a Phoenix wallet, okay, which is a non-custodial yeah. lightning wallet. The time it takes to download both is the same. The, the process to send funds from one to another is the same. You know, just right. maybe slightly, slightly different. When you know them both very well, you can explain this in two minutes. And for the individual who, who doesn't know any of them to begin with, at least you know that their first foot in the door is in the right place. Mm -hmm. At least this is our approach. Okay. Right. So this is what we do. And then once they receive the money and they're like, holy shit, I just received 10 bucks or 10 euros in like half a second. And I'm like, yeah. And that brings up, you know, more questions and the yeah. conversation goes on. At that point, I give them my card or my info. And, you know, a few days later, most of them end up calling back. And they're like, hey, man, you tipped me at that restaurant the other day. Mm -hmm. It's really cool. Can I know more? Like, what do you do? What can I do? You know, yeah. tell me more about this. And this is how the conversation evolves. And then once they're complete, usually they tell others, like other family member, a friend, a neighbor, whatever, you know, and then then it becomes easy because the trust has already been established the word of mouth has been 
spread from a trusted source. So I just have to do the work at this yeah. point into like obviously introducing myself and doing the A to Z for that new person, which at the same time will also tell somebody else and so forth. Yeah, you. I want to get into your, your background a little bit because you talked about your experience in cybersecurity, but I wanted to start with, you mentioned that you do a lot of software and hardware testing um, before you make recommendations. And you, and you mentioned the Phoenix wallet, which I think is one of the best uh, lightning wallets out there. So that's a great one to start with. Uh, when it comes to hardware wallets and software wallets, which, you know, which, which flavors of those do you typically recommend? And what can you say about the security and the, uh, yeah, just basically the security that you found in testing some of these more common or more popular ones that maybe people don't necessarily know or isn't necessarily talked about or isn't as yeah. widely known. Uh, and to well, piggyback on, just to piggyback on that, do, are there wallets that you would recommend not to? That approach? too, yes, 100%. Yeah. yeah, of course. I mean, those are the easy ones to pick up. Anything, yeah. close, anything close source, stay away from. Doesn't matter who's making it. Doesn't matter how much money they're spending on advertising. It doesn't matter. If it's closed source, it's not your friend. Even though the intentions of those making it may not be bad, things happen. Things break. You don't know. It's not in your control. So why take that risk? You don't can have you, to. Can you elaborate a little bit on just the benefits of open source versus closed source? You know, like, and why over time that that's typically always better. Yeah, of course. I mean, op open source, you know, as the word says, it's open source. Like there's a lot of eyes verifying the code. So the chances of someone trying to slip, you know, something underhanded into that code. Or just are making a mistake. And yeah, catching yeah. It. Or making, yeah. Or it could be like an inadvertent yeah. mistake. It's close to zero because, you know, if someone tries something, well, somebody else, there's a high chance that somebody else is going to catch it. And it'll either be stopped, blocked, or fixed. So from a, from a security perspective, it's always better when there's more eyes on the code. And the Bitcoin space, I think, has the most eyes looking at it in the existence of anything we've ever known. Okay, Because right. fundamentally, it's money, you know, the, the underpin of humanity. So you want to make sure that this is the ultimate secured code. And we do that. We like I take the same approach, you know, when it comes to cold wallets, when it comes to nodes, you know, and, and, and that for it, because when you're dealing with money, you don't want to put people inadvertently in a risky position. I mean, these people are not technical people, so they're relying right. on on me, on us to give them proper guidance. So in good in good conscience and good faith, we cannot recommend something that cannot be verified. And we don't. And also, just to point out, we also don't work with or collaborate or recommend any project that does censorship on any level, collaborates with chain analysis on any level. Those are automatically boycotted at the Bitcoin way, no matter who, no exceptions. And uh, if one entity yeah. starts off good and turns bad, at some point down the line, they are out as far as we're concerned. So uh, we're very strict on the Bitcoin ethos. We believe that everybody has a God-given right to privacy that's non-negotiable. And what you do with your money 
is 100% your business. You don't need anybody's permission to use your own money. That's insane. Right. Um, let's. I, I want to know a little bit more about your background. And, and before you started the Bitcoin or co-founded the Bitcoin way, what, what did you do professionally? You were a, how, what was your capacity as a cybersecurity expert? Yeah, I was heavily involved in the IT space, you know, primarily in, in cybersecurity, encryption and privacy. So, you know, helping individuals, businesses, you know, fine tune their, um, their security model, their networks. I was doing a lot of network administration. Um, you know, I was an Apple consultant for a very long time as well. I'm just guiding people into doing things properly, you know, like uh, following meticulous set of disciplined details so that they don't run into issues to uh, maximize the efficiency of their network, you know, recommending hardware, recommending software, um, configuring it all from A to Z, providing support, you know, on-site, off-site. So um, I was always providing a very comprehensive set of uh, IT services around, you know, those specific things because I believe in them full force. I know a lot about them because you know I've, I've been in love in that space for a very long time. So the network of people that I have learned from are priceless. I mean, I remember when I started off in the space, I don't know if you can, if you recall as far back as IRC channels, you know, hmm. internet relay chats, right. um, most of my knowledge came from there, the right. people, the people that taught me, so to speak, are these like, I, I don't know, like, I guess it's a type of folks that you only see in movies, you know, like the white hat hackers, the black right. hat, hackers, you know, all of these guys were my mentors. What I learned from these guys, you will never find in any school. It's, right. That's what right. I mean. It's like invaluable information. That, that like the, the IRC chats in that community, that, that was, I mean, maybe there was something before that, but th that strikes me as like the, the, the first group of like internet collaboration, a lot of uh, innovation around just communication protocols and, and the internet as we know it today. Uh, a lot of that can be attributed to like a lot of the work these guys were doing and just the experimentation and the, and the tinkering and the open source, the cypherpunk almost uh, ethos was kind of born, at least in this internet era like around that around those irc chats is that uh is, i'm a little young i was a little young when that was going on but is that a pretty accurate um yeah assessment yeah, yeah absolutely i mean the, some of the most brilliant minds in the tech space were on these channels and uh the more you interact with them the like the knowledge that you learn is is i mean to this day you know priceless so uh i met thousands of people yeah the cryptographers yeah, exactly. and the people that worked on that were kind of like the the founding father like the, they built the foundation which became the internet which became the, the the ability to create bitcoin and for it to be used absolutely and i mean when i first started working professionally these were the people that i would revert to quietly on my own to test my work you know like you know i'd go i'd be i'd set up a security model for let's say a, a specific network and i'd ping these guys i'm like guys i, I need your help please double check mm -hmm. my work and they would literally hack into that network and blow it up <laughs> to see how well i <laughs> i had done my job and when they stop being able to crack in 
I sign off on the deal. Yeah. Well, ev eventually, you know, you end up learning yeah. all the tips and tricks um, of the trade. And this is what I mean. I mean, there's a lot of details involved in this space. And I bring a lot of this stuff into the Bitcoin space because when you, you know, being your own bank is not only about setting up a cold wallet and connecting it to a node. I mean, yeah, that, those are critical elements. But being your own bank means ensuring that all the components around that bank are also bulletproof. For example, is your router secure? You use it, right, to connect to the internet. Mm -hmm. If your router is compromised, well, then your devices, your computer may be compromised, your phones may be compromised. Most people don't think about these things. They mm -hmm. should. So, you know, like, are you using, you know, encryption on your personal files? If so, how? Do you have a disciplined structure of how to safeguard your, you know, your, your information? Most people don't. So, you know, like, right. I teach them how to do it, you know, in a very meticulous and disciplined way to miti mitigate the chances of data loss. Right. And if followed properly, I mean, to this day, we've, like, I've never had anyone lose any data or any funds from a setup that I've helped them with, knock on wood. Yeah to this date. It's, 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 um, you know, a lot of people, especially new people, they don't even understand that they may have a Bitcoin in self custody and in, in the most secure possible at this time, cold wallet. But if they go and buy Bitcoin on a KYC exchange or some on some app and then send it in self to that wallet, to that address in self custody, they just dox themselves. And it's just as simple as something like that, which you wouldn't even, a lot of people, at least at the beginning, wouldn't even think about. But you, um, it, it sounds like for, you've got decades of experience of, of being a adversarial thinker. How do you, it sounds like you do, but how do you kind of get your clients to start thinking adversarially and thinking about how and why it's important to have these secure uh, this moat around their data and their money? Well, I mean, it begins by having, you know, up-to-date knowledge about what's going on in the world in order to be able to explain it and show people um, direct examples of things that they can relate to. Because at some, you know, at some point, everybody's going to relate to something that they don't like. And when it comes to money, especially these days, it's not that hard because everybody sees prices going up, you know, to, to no end, their incomes are not matching, you know, the, the increase in prices. Everybody's asking questions. Nobody has any valid answers, you know, and, you know, the, the mere thought of introducing a solution that, you know, breaks everything you've been taught for the past 50 years is a scary thought for a lot of people. But unfortunately, it's, the, it's one of the only valid options we have today. And why it's such a big deal is because we've never had anything like Bitcoin ever before 2008. Like, what were our options? Like, if you want to get out of the system, you couldn't. You could hedge, maybe gold, maybe real estate. But all of these are found, are backed up by fiat. So, okay, you know, like, okay, you may make a good return on it, but the underlying money is still the same one that is designed to steal from you. Okay, like now it's gotten so bad that it's, it's, it's very obvious that fiat money has no value and it's losing value at a, like an alarming rate. So a lot of people are aware of this. And when you, you point out like direct examples that affect them 
you know, well, be, it's easier for them to uh, to accept to accept it, you know. Yeah. And then you then you get into the whole technical aspects of things. They don't know anything about this, so they're trusting you, well, me in this case, to help them, you know, get things sorted yeah. out properly. And this is, you know, what we aim to do. Um, go ahead, Mike. I was going to mention that you seem to come to things at a sort of first principles mode. Like you, you want to find out the baseline, see how far down something can be corrupted before it's, you re, you know, the, where the base is. Right. So yeah. I'm, I'm curious if there's a kind of a theory around cybersecurity, I don't know. I've never, I don't really know much about cybersecurity. I can, I can tell you a lot about filmmaking. I can tell you about filmmaking theory. I can tell you about visual theory and, and the differences between one shot to another shot in a movie or, or just by looking at a painting or something. But if there is some kind of a, um, you know, cybersecurity. Fundamentals. Yes, yeah, a fundamental that you approach uh, cybersecurity with. I, I'm curious if if you can speak to that a bit. Yeah, of course. Um, listen, in my experience, the best security is the one that you can remember. You know, I mean, from a technical perspective, you can go absolutely crazy, you know, setting things up. But if you don't remember what you've done, then it's pointless. And this is a big thing that I see a lot of in the Bitcoin space. You know, a lot of people are gung-ho on doing all sorts of, you know, um, very elaborate, you know, complicated setups because technically, yes, it is more secure. But somewhere along the line, if you're not someone who's going to remember absolutely everything, you are guaranteed to lose your funds. So in terms of security, the best security is the one that no one knows about. Okay, so when when I like when we help someone set up their security model, it's usually very personalized to that individual, and it's not something like we don't use a copy paste approach. Obviously, there are some elements that are shared across many things that's unavoidable, but ultimately we try to personalize every solution for the individual based on that individual. So just to give you an example, um, when it comes to uh, Bitcoin self-custody, you know, there's a big debate about single, uh, single SIG versus multi-SIG. Okay? Mm -hmm. Technically, multi-SIG is more secure, mm -hmm. but there's a much higher level of complexity that's involved with multi-SIG. Okay? Like, uh, there are more people involved. There's, if, you're putting, you know, if you're storing your cold wallets in different jurisdictions, well, you have to, re you have to remember where they are, first of all. You have to be able to get there. You know, let's say an emergency happens. Can you get there quick enough? Um, what if you get into an argument with one of the people that you have that's holding your stuff? How do you deal with this? You know, like this is what I mean. Like all these little complexities of real life that most people don't necessarily think of in the moment that they're making that setup. That when things go bad, like they go really bad, like it spirals out of control, and then you're like, shit. Now what do I do? Yeah. Okay. And it, it yeah. You know, and it's more expensive. Multi, you know, people don't realize that it's if if transaction fees and block space is scarce. Well, uh, it's more expensive, yeah. But I mean, for high net individuals, that's sure, that's really, a good point. Really not a, is really not an issue. The issue comes down to trust, trust and technical know-how. I mean, you can be rich, but if you're not a technical person, 
you can easily lose your you know your funds just like the next person it doesn't really matter your net worth has no significance you know in, in a situation in a situation like this so um you basically have to examine every single step as you take it yes absolutely. In, in full in full frame like you just have to see exactly what that thing is yeah absolutely like chess, yeah yeah, I mean, look. I mean, if I'm if I'm speaking with you and I'm working with you, what well, your mind works in a specific way. You like to do things, you know, that way. Somebody else may prefer them another way. So the security model for person A versus you are completely different. So we need to find out, like, it's a sort of a balance between security and practicality. That I know there's a high probability that you will not screw up. And that's the key. Yeah. If you're a technical person, yeah, obviously we can go, you know, higher up the scale of complexity. But you're, most people that come to us, at least so far, are everyday people, you know, like normal people that are not technical, like by any stretch. So I can't tell them, you know, multi-sig, it's like speaking a foreign language. They will understand nothing. Right. No matter how well I explain it, it may sink in, you know, during the conversation, but give it three days, it's gone. It's, it briefly reminds me of something you said, Dan, in a way earlier episode about how someone would want to hide their keys so much that they would take Peter Jackson's submarine and <laughs> drop the keys at the bottom of the ocean. No one's ever <laughs> finding my keys. Anyway. Um, <laughs> the, it's not, it's not exactly the best or perfect one-to-one -one comparison, but trying to help somebody to learn Bitcoin and to, and to understand it and how to use it is, is almost like trying to be a tutor to teach somebody how to play the piano or the, or another instrument where re repetition and, and being able to broadcast your own transactions, um, be able That's to good thread. manage That's your UTXOs, like all of these things we talk about where it's like, oh, I can spend my Bitcoin when I need it. But if you lose a wallet and you have to recover your wallet from the seed in, you know, a, you know, a new, you know, Sparrow uh, wallet on a laptop in a, in a pinch and like, do you know how to create that transaction and send it? Because if you need to use your money, but you can't, because it's taking you too long to figure out how to do it that becomes a problem. Do you have, uh, is that part of the process of when you're teaching and, and helping people use it is to help them through repetition to feel comfortable spending their Bitcoin, managing their yeah, Bitcoin? Yeah, ab absolutely. I mean, the onboarding process is not a five minute thing. You know, right. it's, uh, we, we do it in, we do it in stages, you know, stage one is like the educate, like the introductory educational stage where we, you know, explain what this is about, why it's important, debunking the FUD and all that stuff, you know, then, then we move on to stage two, you know, sort of like setting up the cold wallet, then, you know, then the stage three is the, is the node, stage four is connecting it all together, stage five is practicing, stage six, you know, no KYC, like we take them in steps. And so this is like a process that can take, you know, several days, you know, sometimes several weeks, depending on people's schedules but it's a very thorough learning process and it's a bit similar to your piano example but very different in the sense that this is not um an optional thing or at least it won't be an optional thing for 
many people in the very near future because everybody needs money. Okay. And if your money is not safe, you're done. So you're going to have to figure out or have to put the effort to learn how to properly safeguard your money. And so that learning process, you know, when, when people are very receptive, they know they have to do it, they know they need it, the learning becomes easier. But again, you know, it, it, there's, a lot of, like, there's a lot of new stuff involved. So it's not that it's necessarily super complicated. It's not, especially when it's properly explained. But because it's new, it's daunting at first. Well, then you go through the steps, you repeat it, you know, a few times. And we're always available. Like, I mean, when we set up someone from A to Z, it's not like we're gone. If they forget at any point in time, you know, they can always call back. You can book, book a, uh, like a one hour consult, half an hour consult. You know, we'll go through, we'll go through whatever you for, you've, you've missed or, you know, revise a few points. It's not an issue. And don't forget, Bitcoin is a progressing technology. So whatever we do now, even though it's perfect, let's say in six, seven months, something new comes out, you're going to need this something new, you know, especially when it comes to inheritance planning. You know, we get that a lot. We set up inheritance planning. Everybody's super happy. I'm like, yes, thank God my kids will be okay. My wife, my girlfriend, whoever, it's going to be fine. But then, you know, six, seven months down the line, well, something new comes out. Okay, well, now we have to update this inheritance plan, you know, to keep it relevant. And that the same concept applies to your sovereign bank. You know, maybe there's a better cold wallet. There's a better node. There's, you know, that comes out. It's a, pro, it's, it's a progressive technology. And we are going to have to keep up with it in order to ensure that, one, the money is always safe. And two, you are always familiar with how to use it. So right. how did you set it and forget it forever type of thing, you know? How did you arrive at this, uh, this understanding of money and its importance? Well, I saw how easily it could be taken away from you and how easily it could be uh, weaponized against people and how quickly it goes from something to nothing. And when you have to ask permission to use your own money, to me, it's inconceivable. It's, it's complete madness. You know, if you go to try to take out money from your bank, they're going to ask you like 700 questions, what you want to do with your money. Yeah. It's none of your business what I'm going to do with my money. It's my money. Yeah. No, we have to know. Otherwise, we, we have the right not to give it to you. What do you mean you have the right not to give it to me? It's my money. And then I realized, you know, like most people, that the money in the bank is not your money. Legally, it's not your money anymore. Right. When you sign off that boatload of papers that they make you sign when you open up a bank account, you are literally giving away your money to the bank and they legally have an IOU you know, towards you. But right. if the bank runs into a situation where, I don't know, they need money or things are bad, well, you know, technically, they, they can keep your money. And this is exactly what's happening. This is what happened in Argentina. This is what happened in Lebanon. So don't think that your bank, because it's such a highly rated bank, is immune to this. It's not. That's what happened with Celsius as well. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, just because it's a... Everything founded on fiat is headed towards the same fate. It's a mathematical certainty, in my opinion. It's unavoidable. Yeah. Um... One of the things we talked about towards the beginning of this episode was the the volatility and 
in my experience, when you're orange pilling somebody and you're helping them to, you know, onboard and, and to using Bitcoin, uh, managing their emotions during that volatility, the price volatility can sometimes be as, as big of a task as anything else in helping them use Bitcoin. But being able to stay calm and manage your emotions through that volatility requires, you know, experience and understanding Bitcoin. So I'm curious about your Bitcoin journey and how, when did you discover Bitcoin and then how, what was that process from when you first learned about it till you realized, you know, the power that it, it really was, that it really had. Well, I learned Bitcoin in 2012, but like many clowns, I ignored it, hmm. you know, because mm -hmm. uh, for, I mean, I understood it. That's, that's the worst part is I had completely mm. understood it, but I must have been distracted by something, you know, silly now think of it. And I just never looked back. Um, when I started to pay attention, like really pay attention was around um, 2018 when things really started going bad, you know, in the financial system, mm -hmm. um, the 2008, you know, uh, crash also, you know, like raised some red flags. I didn't really pay attention to it back then as much because I wasn't directly affected yet, you know, but as time went on, you know, and you become more aware of these things, eventually, you know, my, my, my attention, you know, clicked and I started diving deep into the rabbit hole. And the more I learned about what money really is, you know, like it pissed me off, hmm. like to, to be very blunt, it really pissed me off. Um, because it made it very clear that we are living under a criminal system, under a system of thieves that, that designed money for their own use, you know, and uh, everything that we thought was for our protection has nothing to do with our protection. It has everything to do, you know, with surveillance and control. And it's gotten to the point today where it's so abusive that you like even the, the the laziest most you know unaware person now is aware that right. you know something very wrong is going on and um you know you explain this to people you show them real examples you know while not trying to create a horror show out of you know the uh the educational process but you know pointing out you know some very specific you know and real life examples and a lot of people seem to seem to you know to accept this now to understand this. Yeah. They just don't know where to start. Like they feel stuck. Like what do I do? How much do I put? That's 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 like another baby. How much yeah. do I buy? There's no right answer to this. You know, I mean, obviously, we are in a transition period right now. Whether people are aware of it or not, we are transitioning from the legacy system that we have now into a decentralized system. You know. Bitcoin yeah. obviously is a main player into that space. Um, whether people want, like it, don't like it, it doesn't matter. It's happening. Right. So how much money do you put in Bitcoin? I'm not a financial advisor. You know, like we can't give out that type of information. But what I usually tell people, you still need fiat to exist in this world, unfortunately, for the time being. So it's you can't go gung-ho into Bitcoin by like going 100% in. You put whatever you're comfortable with, you know, like if if you're comfortable with a 5% allocation of whatever you're worth, then 5% is it. But here's the thing. Once people get into Bitcoin, then they start asking more questions and learning more about it. And the more information they absorb, 
the more comfortable the they feel putting more in it. That's it. Their allocation grows on its own, you know, by themselves without anyone's intervention. I've dealt with people that have started off with like 2%. Now they're up to 60 and had nothing to do with me. Like I said, nothing. I just ran into them six or seven months later and we had a conversation and they were laughing, you know, like, you know, that 2% that you recommended. Goes, well, yeah, I'm like, he's like, yeah, well now it's 60, <laughs> you know? So, uh, this is an organic growth. Like people allocate to, to Bitcoin on their own, the more they, they understand it, the more they get comfortable with it, the more they That's realize the, that there's yeah. no other way, you know? That's the real number go up, the amount of money that you are willing to transfer out of the fiat system over, yeah. over your journey. Absolutely. And I encourage Bitcoiners to spend some of their Bitcoin and not to hoard it. You know, yeah. there's a there's also that misconception. No, no, no. I can't spend a single Satoshi. It's going to become worth like a hundred billion dollars. I can't. I'm like, you can and you should. And here's why. If you want to normalize Bitcoin in the real world as fast as possible, everyday people need to think of it as money. So when you walk into a store and you want to buy something, it should be cash, credit card, Bitcoin, like in as many places as possible. So that subconsciously, you know, someone walking down will, will see Bitcoin everywhere they go. So they won't necessarily think of it as, oh, this is an investment, as a stock, as, as a risk asset. No, this is money. And hey, how do I get some of it? Yeah. You know, it becomes, it will happen on its own anyhow. But if we want to fast track that, like in this lifetime, like if you want to see it, you know, while you're still alive, mm -hmm. the more people that do this, the quicker it's going to happen. And you sure. don't necessarily need to spend a large portion of your of your Bitcoin holdings. 5% is more than enough. I mean, if you think it's going to be worth whatever it's going to be worth, like 100 billion, and you have, I don't know, like one Bitcoin, what's 5% five, what's going to yeah. change in your life? Nothing. It, you know, you can always replace it with the fiat you were going to spend in the first place. Just replace it. You know, That's the, exactly uh, it. Yeah. So it would change nothing, but it's like a fiat mindset, that greed fiat mindset that, no, I have to hold on. I can't spend anything because I'm going to be able to become a trillionaire. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a funny thing, but, you know, a lot of people, this is, this is how their mind works. And it's yeah. important to sort of, you know, like change that a little bit so that they understand that, don't worry, you'll be fine, more than fine. Yeah. Even if you spend your Bitcoin, but you'll be you'll be you'll get to where you want to get much sooner if you play your part. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, what from the front lines? What is some of the the more popular FUD that you have to deal with lately? It's going to zero. Governments are going to stop it. You know the typical stuff. It's not yeah. nothing's, nothing's really changed. You get the same, you know, uh, same disc playing over and over. Yeah. And so uh, you just have to repeat the same answers over and over. At some point, it'll stop. I'm assuming, you know, or it'll slow down significantly because people start telling each other, "No, the government can't stop it." You know, if they wanted to stop, they would have stopped it. Now they can't. That's why they hate it. This is why the institutions are coming in. What, like, why would the institutions come in now if the governments can stop it or coerce it or sanction yeah. it or what? Why would they? Right. Um, they wouldn't. Of course. What, um, what aspect of Bitcoin is it that has you the most 
interested or the most excited that you're kind of, I mean, I guess for background, I personally kind of learn new things about Bitcoin or it causes me to think in a different way and I'll focus on, you know, mining or something like that for, you know, and I'll start reading books and listening to podcasts specifically about that topic. Do you have anything specific that's really on top of your mind lately? Yeah. For me, Bitcoin is not about number go up. It really isn't. It's the last thing on my mind. Bitcoin for me represents freedom in the in the William Wallace type of mindset. You know, like I am aggressively against anyone that thinks that they have the right to dictate what I do with my money and how I live my life. Okay. And I think everyone should be extremely defensive about this and push back um, in order to destroy this psychopathic notion that this is how the world should be run by a bunch of insane people that genuinely believe they have this godlike right to dictate how, what any, everybody does with their life. That has to be completely destroyed. Like it cannot be given an iota of a chance to exist in this world if we are going to have a good life. If you have kids or planning on having kids, you do not want them to live in such a dystopian world. Why would you have them? Like, why are you punishing your kids for something they have no control over? Right. Do you see, this, I was going to ask you, you see that, that pendulum swinging to that direction? Yes, I do. I do. There's a lot more people, you know, uh, waking up to that fact. Um, because ultimately, you know, as things get progressively worse, sooner or later, you are going to get affected by something that really bothers you or really irks you or really pisses you off. And at that point, you're going to react. It's like, think of it as a bully, you know, like, you know, you have, you have these bullies coming at you. It's a full on assault the way I see it, you know, against humanity, your rights, your freedoms and all that. So it's no different than a bully. If a bully came up to you every day and like beat the shit out of you, like how long are you going to take that beating until you, you beat the shit out of him back until he stops? It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's very similar in that sense. Like how long are you going to take that abuse until you push back? Everyone has a breaking point, no matter, no matter who it is. Well, some people that's a shorter fuse, but ultimately they all have a breaking point. And at some point, you know, even the least resistant person is going to say enough is enough. Especially once they find out that there's a tool that provides them the ability to do that. Yes, and it's a and it's a, and it's a peaceful tool. This is where we're blessed. I mean, you know, traditionally, historically, when people want when people fought for freedom, how did they do it? They killed each other. It was like the most violent and gruesome events in the world. But this is what it took to protect your freedom against tyranny. So we we have two options: either we go back to doing this, which obviously nobody wants, or we go about it the peaceful way by defunding the element that's funding that tyranny. And before 2008, we never had anything like it. This is what, you know, so many still have a hard time wrapping their minds around that it's too good to be true. You know, it's a valid, it's a valid point. I get it. You know, like we all, I, I even, you know, contemplated that at some point in the, in my early uh, yeah. beginnings with Bitcoin. But again, you know, the more you learn, the, the more you dive in, the more you look at facts, not, you know, fun. Yeah. The more you the look more at how much work and how much effort went into 
being able to create something like Bitcoin that just happened to finally come out in 2008. Yes. It wasn't I just invented out of nowhere in 2008. It was the culmination of countless hours of people's energy and research and 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 applying crypto or you know app, you know applying cryptography and mathematics and in code to be able to do this. Um uh, Can I just mention this? It made me think. Uh, uh, I wonder if, because I, I have, I was far less aware of politics and and tyranny uh, and and all of these sorts of uh, forces being put upon me, fiat itself, before I got into Bitcoin. But I'm wondering if that's that I'm aware of these things because of Bitcoin, or is it is are those things like is that ratcheting up? in the world are, are these it's definitely been ratcheting, ratcheting up since up. covid right for sure at least yeah. absolutely absolutely things mm. have been uh, have been getting worse you know it's uh it's, it's it almost feels like you're living in a nightmare and uh, you know whoever satoshi nakamoto was he she they you know th this was someone or a group of people that said enough is enough i mean they understand what we understand now back then and they had thankfully the uh, the know-how and the knowledge to put together this thing and to release it into the world into like what i consider the most selfless act to humanity ever known in order to save it yeah um before we let you go i just wanted to ask from your perspective uh in Dubai, you know, what is, what is the attitude towards Bitcoin there? And like in that, you know, that region in general, that's very closely tied to everything, their existence, their success is tied to energy. And is it, uh, is that something that's awareness is growing on the ground? That's a very good question, actually. And the answer might surprise you. Um, at least in my experience, high net worth individuals, especially in that area, um, have a very arrogant attitude towards Bitcoin. You know, like uh, they're so rich that they genuinely believe they're above anything bad. Like nothing will ever happen to them. It's impossible. And like I said earlier, this is a very dangerous lie to tell yourself because nobody is immune to this. I mean, your wealth is just a number on a screen that's backed up by absolutely nothing. It's like, poof, you know, like a, a bubble of air at any point it can burst. And usually the wealthier they are, the more, the more convincing they need to allocate even a 1%. Okay. The younger, the younger crowd are not as resistant, even though they come from wealthier family, but they're doing it more for the cool factor. They're not really doing it because of their understanding mm -hmm. of how important it is. They're mm -hmm. doing it because, yeah, man, it's cool. I want miners. I want this. I want to become super rich more than I am. You know, that's why they're doing it, but they're doing it. Okay. Yeah. So regardless of why they're doing it, they're doing it. So indirectly, they're still contributing to the whole ecosystem in a positive way. Um, people of lower incomes, people have been affected more by inflation, by mandates, by all this nonsense. These people are very receptive to Bitcoin and it's, there's almost no convincing required. It's just really going through 
the proper steps to ensure that everything is done diligently, meticulously, you know, in a, in a nice disciplined fashion that they understand. Um, I push note taking a lot. I make sure everybody takes good notes so that um, in case one day they forget something in the middle of the night and they get like a panic attack, they can always refer back to their notes until they call me like the next day or, you know, send a message or so forth. So uh, that's been that's been my experience. But yeah, ultimately, everybody is coming to Bitcoin, whether they want to, they, they think they won't or not. They're all roads lead to Bitcoin. Is inflation super hot in that region? No, okay. no. Okay. I mean, not not really. No, I mean, you don't feel it as much as in other places, for example, in Europe or yeah. in the United States and all that stuff. But again, people in this area are crazy wealthy. Mm -hmm. So even if inflation went up 30%, they probably wouldn't even notice. Right. Crazy. You know, like, yeah, yeah, it's crazy. But even at that level, at some point, you know, when money deflates to 100% or 90%, they will notice. You know, like a million, like somebody who had a million bucks in Lebanon just two years ago, is now it's worth a few hundred dollars. So how do you go from a million to a few hundred bucks? That's wow. suicidal. Yeah. And that's exactly what happens. So the, the, like I said, the number doesn't matter. It could be million, billion, trillion. If the money is, goes down to zero, that money has gone. Yeah. Not your keys or not your cash, whatever. So it's, it's the banks once you sign it over. Well, Tony, thank you for coming on today. Uh, Tony is at V4BTC on Twitter. And if you have anybody in your life who is getting into Bitcoin and you're not quite technically equipped to get them to a point where they feel secure in, in putting that 60% of their wealth, uh, maybe you know the guys at Bitcoin Way can help you. So how can they find you guys? How can they get in touch with you and, uh, and, and, and learn more? Absolutely. I mean, they can always reach out to us directly on the website, bitcoinway.com. Um, we are very active on Twitter, both from the Bitcoin Way account. And if you know people want to follow me directly, I'm V4BTC. I'm very active there as well. We're also very active on Noster. So for those that are that have accounts on Noster, you know, you're welcome to follow us there. You can send me a, a DM. I'll follow you back. And uh, always receptive to, to helping others, you know, self-custody. Yeah. What's a, so yeah, the first step you would say, if there's a lot of people out there who maybe they don't admit it on Twitter, but they've got a lot of Bitcoin and they've got it on some centralized exchange and it's just sitting there and it's, it's just easy as to rug as something at a bank. So yeah. You, the first step, learn self-custody, right? What, Absolutely. Any other message that you give to people on how to think differently and how to use Bitcoin the right way? Well, money on an exchange is no different than the money at a, on a, in, a, in a bank. It's not yours. So get the money off of the exchange as soon as possible. Um, invest in a good cold wallet. You are become, accept the notion that you are going to become your own bank. It's not hard. It's not complicated. There's nothing to be afraid of. Um, if you drive a car, you're already doing something way more <laughs> you know, complicated than sure. self-considering your money. And we are here to help you every step of the way. It's, uh, you know, our help is very comprehensive. We're very patient. There's no rush. All your questions uh, will be answered. There are no stupid questions. Ask away. It's, it's, it's no problem. Oh, yeah. 
Well, th- yeah. Thanks again, Tony. It was great to talk to you and uh, good luck. And I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing the Bitcoin way grow. Thank you very much for having me, man. It was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you very yeah. much, Tony. Thanks. Okay. Thanks again for listening to the High Hash Rate podcast. You can find us on Twitter at High Hash Rate, or you can hit up Dan at Heartland Bitcoin, H-R-T-L-N-D Bitcoin, or myself, Mike, at Run Dance Bitcoin. That's all one word, Run Dance Bitcoin. If you're a fellow pleb or you just want to shoot the shit with two high Bitcoiners, reach out to us. Holy Toledo!